Hi, and welcome to From Many People's Strength, the podcast that covers Saskatchewan politics and current events. My name is Corey, and my pronouns are he and him. And my name is David. My pronouns are they, them, or he, him. And it's just us this week. No guests. <laughs> no guests. <laughs> it was a nice change of pace to have guests a couple times. Yeah, it was good. I think we'll do it a couple times in the future, but... Absolutely. It's nice to hear from people who actually know what they're talking about instead of us just pontificating. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I know, uh, like you say, uh, a medical expert is a great person to have on to talk about COVID yes. issues. It's, it, <laughs> so, it, it's relevant to some of the stories that we end up having to cover. Yeah, that's right. For some reason. And I would I would say Paul is a, an expert on the Regina City Council. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I guess if you want, we can start getting into some of these stories. Yeah, let's jump into it. Okay, so Sask parents can book COVID vaccine appointments yeah. starting uh, the Tuesday after November 22nd. <laughs> so yes. we can and, now do our kids are kingdom get vaccines. And they filled up quick. Um, yeah, I right. went onto the website later that afternoon, uh, so the Tuesday afternoon, um, and um, my ex-wife and I hand off the kids. So I was like looking at the timing. I wasn't going to be able to get them in until like late Friday night and that's sort of right around our handoff and we're trying to figure some of that out. And then um, my ex-wife was like, oh, no, no, I'll take care of it. And by the time she got in, the earliest she could book the time for was Sunday and that was still later in the day on Tuesday. Um, we were able to eventually she found a, a different booking. So not through the province, I think through just a drugstore that or somewhere she was able to get him in on Thursday. So that was great, but uh, it's good news. Um, uh, and it was good news that the bookings did fill up as quickly as they did. It means there's people who understand how important this is. And sure. the fact that children under 12 are the ones that were uh, very highly at risk for the new variants. Um, you know, we're still seeing kids, not suffering as severe symptoms right but then they just turn into carriers um yep which again not like no kid wants to know that they were the ones who passed on a deadly disease to someone they love and care about especially with someone right. who's not able to get vaccinated so yeah. um my my family is one step closer to being fully vaccinated for all of us now yeah well, and I was I was excited by how quick because I remember saying to my son who's eleven, um, and he turned eleven back in March when my older son who's thirteen got vaccinated. My younger son was like, "How soon? How soon? How soon will it be five to five to eleven uh, or five to 12? And I was like, uh, "Honestly, to be blunt, you're probably going to turn twelve by the <laughs> like before yeah. the under twelve cohort is able to get vaccinated." And I was wrong. Um, yep. One of the one of my favorite times ever for being wrong. Um, sure. You know, science beat my prediction by about three and a half to four months, which is great. Um, so he's still eleven, was able to get vaccinated. So that was uh, good news all around. Hopefully, the uptake is as you know is high. It stays high. Um, yeah. we can get get everyone in for the second round. You know, three to four weeks after they get their first and. Yep, we can get one step closer to having this last two years behind us. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it sounds like we're gonna be uh, 
maybe having to start doing booster shots and stuff yeah. because of new variants and whatever. But, uh, yeah, but we do that for other things, right? Like yeah, we, we, right. we already do booster shots for the MMR. We do booster shots for flu every year. Um, like there's yeah. lots of things that we do, like we take medicine for on a regular basis. Um, yeah. it's, it's the trade off for us not dying in our forties and fifties. Right. Like yeah, the trade off right. of having an average life expectancy up into the 80s, as opposed to an average life expectancy in the 40s and 50s is like is we have to do the things that modern science has given to us that allow us to live those extra years. Right. Like, yep, exactly. Yeah, I, that's, like I, that's the trade off. So I've said many times I will take a booster shot every six months if they need me to. Sure. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> not mm-hmm. one bit <laughs> no. So. no not at all and like no one likes getting well a very small percentage of the population likes getting needles <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. again it's I don't I also don't like taking um, a pill for like my acid reflux every day it's annoying I forget right. sometimes um, but it's better than having heartburn every time I eat a bell pepper <laughs> right. <laughs> right like yeah, that for sure yeah. those are trade-offs it sucks, so. but that's how it goes yeah and I, i'm being a little flippant you know making something that light compared to covid because again with covid it's, right. i'd rather get a needle than have people i love and care about die the so. consequences are much greater yeah, yeah. but yeah, same basic sure. concept yep the finn family will yeah, be yeah they're compensated. Getting, getting full reimbursement yeah. um so great <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to say, really. Yeah, again, the story still doesn't go into a lot of details around some of the backgrounds. Um, right. I'm at the end of the day, no one should suffer medical bankruptcy in Canada. Like that's just not something yeah. that should happen. Um, yeah. That's again, right. so pro- if this family was in danger of that, then we definitely, you yeah, know, they made the right call, right? Yeah. So. Um, you know, later on in this article, they do talk about how the province needs to better address treatment of rare diseases um, and have a, a better overall strategy. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Like, I, I, I want to make sure that a million dollars going to private health care in the U.S. doesn't start stripping funds from public health care in Canada. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, this seems like it's a good news story for this individual family. Um I'm, I, I have concerns, but at the same time, if it was yeah. universalized, it could present a problem, right? Yeah. And, but I also, again, I don't, it's not that like when I say, when we say things like no more billionaires, it's not like we, well, most of us don't actually want to go and hunt billionaires for sport. It's just change the economic situation by which they exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, yeah, this wasn't sure. like, this family already had resources at their disposal that most people don't because you can't just come up with the million dollars in the first place to just go do this. Um, but well, yeah, like uh, imagine putting yourself in that situation. Like, uh, my kid would just have to wait for the treatment or get the treatment in that was available in Saskatchewan. There would be no experimental treatment or whatever. Right. right? So, so again, we should make sure that we're, getting getting children access to the medicine that they need and not having to yep. rely on shipping them off to 
you know, the most expensive healthcare system in the world. That's also one of the least effective at times. So. And I mean, I know we were going to just cut this real, yeah. we were going to do this very quickly, but I also want to make sure like we don't pay for non-evidence-based treatments. Right. Like you're not going down for, uh, whatever, uh, some experimental treatment that is non proven down in Mexico, you yeah. know, and paying for it out of pocket. And then the government is paying you back for it. Yeah. That that's important. This has to be a, a, a real evidence-based yeah. <laughs> treatment so that I, you just 100%. can't get here. Modeling projections show worst case scenario of fifth wave in January. And the differences between the scenarios largely depend on two factors, how quickly immunity from vaccines wanes and how much people gather together. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we still should be at this point kind of controlling our, um, our group size in some mm -hmm. ways. Like I know, uh, I know we have many people going to rider games and we have, uh, parties happening and there's lots of things happening where there's lots of people from various uh, households in the same space, but hopefully everybody's, you know, kind of masking up if it's in public and, and uh, you know, our vaccines, everybody's doing the vaccination thing. And yeah. Yeah. If you, there's the four different models, um, like the, the drastic difference between model one and model two, three, and four is, is pretty significant um you know obviously they're hoping for model four which is the one that's the the least deadly um right uh, and it's sort of the combination of all good things happening so uh, good right. luck around um the waning and like model one only happens with both um the booster or the, the vaccine waning quicker than expected and people being stupid um so even like models two three and four even if the booster wanes faster than expected as long as people aren't stupid we're, we're looking at models two and three rather right. than model yeah. one so yeah we won't get model four if the, bo the booster or the vaccine doesn't work as well as we're hoping but right yeah we can still avoid the really really big spike if people are cautious and careful yep um, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I think this is like, we're saying the same things we've said before every other spike and every other spike we've had people not listen. Uh, you know, obviously they're probably not listening to our show, but, right. um, you <laughs> yeah. know, people haven't Maybe listened. a couple of hate listeners, had, but. <laughs> we've had second, third, and fourth waves where people have died who didn't need to. The first one we got is us to create safe zones around schools to protect against anti-vaccination protests. Uh, and there's a 50 meter perimeter around schools to be protected by law. So it's yep. being introduced into the education act. And that was on the Monday after November 22nd. So, yeah, yeah. I mean this, this, and then the next one is kind of related yeah. because we had this, uh, protest. It's a school division office rather than individual schools. But. Right. Right. So, and yeah. then. You've got people protesting outside of the school division office. Um, this, the thing about this one bothered me that like, uh, I mean, 150 people seems like way too many, uh, but they're holding up signs that read things like no kill shot and my body, my choice, uh, completely without irony. Like, yeah. uh, 
the shot isn't killing anybody. I, th- I think people listening to us should, uh, should know this. Uh, and the whole my body, my choice thing, that's an appropriation of the pro-choice argument. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, and the co-opting the orange shirt. Um, so taking the, right. the symbol of uh, of uh, reconciliation and like orange shirt day and the residential school um, yeah. history and co-opting a shirt designed for acknowledging the residential school tragedy and using it for saying teach freedom in order to co-opt that message for an anti-vax rhetoric is pretty deplorable like that's yeah yeah that's fairly horrific yeah they they've done similar things in the united states where they're like go to school meetings with like uh the six-pointed star the jewish star on their shirts and whatever and like you're you're taking these things that are not related and are in fact awful with something that is health guidelines and mandates to keep people from being harmed. Yeah. It's like just a, yeah. I don't know. And like there have, this one was at the school board office, but there, um, there were anti-vax protests outside of schools in Saskatoon. Um, yeah. The school officials at the white cap school in Saskatoon um, warned parents of a man who'd like gone into the school to talk with students on four separate incidents. And like, some like random dude talking to children about their vaccine status and urging children not to get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's really not. It's creepy. Um, yeah. like I yeah, don't know. And, and, it, and it makes me angry. Like uh, yeah. it makes me angry to think that somebody would go into a school and try to talk to my child about, uh, what, I, you know, if I were to do that to their children, they would lose their mind. Right. Yeah, because I was thinking about that. Like, that's one of those things where there are a lot of issues I'm really passionate about, but I don't think I would sneak onto school grounds to talk to children about it. No. No matter how passionate I am about any issue, I cannot see myself sneaking onto a school ground to talk to children about some issue I'm passionate about. Nope. Maybe that means I'm not passionate enough, but it, yeah, that crosses so many lines. Just not underhanded enough. Yeah. Like that's, that's not just, it's creepy, but it's also like really dishonest and really just an awful abuse of your position as an adult, uh, with children who will see you as an authority in some way. Yeah. And like, you know, I've talked before, like we're both pretty passionate about unifying school, school districts and, um, the fact that we don't need, um, publicly funded, um, education that gives special treatment to one dominant religion. Um, you and I don't ever go stand outside Catholic schools with pamphlets telling the right. children that. Yeah, that's right. Right? Like that like that sounds again horrific. Yeah. That it like, seems like I can't an even awful, awful thing to do. <laughs> sneaking on to a Catholic school to talk to children yeah. about why they shouldn't be in a Catholic school, right? Like that just seems wrong and i do think they're harmful i have lots of reasons why i think they're harmful yep um for like yeah passionately so um but, but yeah that's just yeah. crossing so many other. so again like having the the 50 meter zone around schools seems 
yeah. common, you know, seems common sense. Again, it's one of those things where we are, I am, I am nervous about the infringing of liberties as well. Like, I think it is possible to say, hey, this doesn't cross a line, but it's probably getting relatively close to one. Um, right. I know there's, there's um, a law coming or a bill coming up in federal um, politics around uh, protests around health care facilities right. or preventing um, that. And again, it's one of those ones where right now that seems like it makes sense. I just get nervous as to how the overreach can come into play. Yeah. Um, all, but too often, just be, yeah. Yeah. Too often the laws end up uh, harming those who are protesting against uh, power yeah. or in the case like strikers working for uh, yeah. trying for better uh, wages and whatnot. Exactly. So we don't want to hurt nurses yeah. by trying to protect them, right? Like, that's, yeah, that's that. It is one of those things that just because we recognize there is a line that can be crossed Right. Doesn't mean that this is crossing it. It just means yeah. we need to be aware that that line can exist and just be cognizant of that. Uh, um, yep, you know, for sure. Slippery slopes do exist. Doesn't necessarily mean we're on one, but um, we just need to be cautious of, of when when it hits that point. Yeah, I think, I, I guess we've talked about slippery slopes in the past, but I saw something the other day that said like, slippery slope is a fallacy when you, you when you profess that such a th an outcome absolutely will occur yeah. right where we are cautious we want to we're worried that this may be a case where it could be an overreach so yeah. that's we're not making the fallacy is my point <laughs> okay <laughs> and again maybe like it's hard to say where that like where the fallacy kicks in and where it doesn't right, right. um but again I, I i i think it's again it's possible to acknowledge that there is a gray area sometime and while still also acknowledging that we haven't entered it yet. Yeah. Rapid testing business booms, but some are worried about fraud and uh, yeah, there's apparently very little requirements to become one of these people that uh, can ha admit these or take these tests or give these tests out. And uh, the, the one uh, qu quote is the requirements are, do you have a pulse and do you have a website? So, yeah. I don't understand. I don't know where to go with this story. It seems like it is. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think uh, like there is a chance that people would, if this was like it says in the story, like if you make it so cheap to get these swabs, then uh, people won't get the vaccination because they can just go out and spend two bucks or whatever and get a swab. And you don't want people to be deterred from getting the vaccination. You want just something else for people who can't right prescriptive like you can't you, you don't want it to be holding back people who absolutely can't get the uh the vaccine so it's i don't know it's an interesting story it's hard to gauge where the right line is there but yeah. perhaps there should be harder requirements for becoming somebody who performs these tests yeah and I, honestly i i'm less worried about it being too accessible and more worried about it being not accurate like right, there yeah. is some worry about the, the fake test. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you just come in and do the test. You know, hundred percent guaranteed right. negative result. Right, like um, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, not you know, not to impugn anyone who's offering it currently, but like that's obviously the concern that it's not reputable, that it's not consistent. Um, 
Well, and I think I could be mistaken unless they've improved these. These tests aren't particularly accurate anyway, are they? Yeah, like I, I don't know. I'm assuming there's there's been improvements on them. Um, this needs to be something that there's been work on. The news story doesn't go into a lot more detail, yeah. and I haven't done tons of researching on it. I just myself. seem to recall like earlier, but. earlier in the uh, uh, pandemic, like they were talking about quick tests yeah. and how they weren't as accurate as even like your your deep nose swab that takes two days to process the results and even those tests can still have false positives, false negatives. Like there's still just chance that you can have uh, false, uh, incorrect results. So I think the, yeah. the more testing you're doing is great, but there's going to be a percentage of those that's, uh, na- that's false. And it's problematic if they're taking those and using them as proof to get into places. Yeah. And again, the, the, the one comment here, you know, there are quite a few reputable people who have started doing this, but the bar was too low. They needed right. to vet people more, right? So, um, yep, yeah. So hopefully, um, the the government does crack down on those who are not, as they put it, not honest on their application. Um, right. So right now, the consequence for lying is you don't get to do the test anymore, um, which seems like a pretty minor risk yeah, because that's you right. weren't doing them before lying lets you do them. If you get caught lying, you just go back to like, not like the consequence for lying is the same as just not having lied in the first place. So it does seem like there should be some more consequence, like maybe yeah. a fine or something at least. Yeah. Right. Committing medical fraud should be a thing. Yep. That's right. So. Yep. SAS power is set to put smart meters in homes across the par- province. So they completed a pilot project this year where 17,000 volunteers used the smart meters. And in the article, it also mentions 45,000 businesses. So the results of smart meters, I think, speak for themselves. They're pretty good. Uh, They're they're helpful in in that uh, you get a, a fresh bill every month of what the actual reading is. You're not using estimates. You're not using previous years. You're just getting... This month I used X amount of power, and this month that's how much I owe. Yeah, um, and they're when they roll them out, they're going to start in rural areas because, yep. for the most part, people in rural areas normally get tested once per year, whereas people in the cities get tested once every not test. I'm saying have their meters <laughs> read. <laughs> Still using the language from the previous story, but um, yeah, meter readings once a year versus meter readings once every three months. You know, might as well get it implemented for the people who only get once a year. Um, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and like once, this should have happened years ago, but there was the issue yeah. with some of them being faulty or like they were, I, I think the issue that there was, they were, the, I think when all was said and done on the last rollout, um, if my memory serves correctly, what was discovered was the smart meters themselves were fine. The government cut costs by having, again, non properly vetted installers put them in if, if memory serves um and so yes, there were fires correct. right yeah. so and the fires got attributed to the smart meters rather than the cutting costs and instead of yeah. using actual SAS power installers they hired third-party companies who weren't properly regulated so yep um but he- heaven forbid we blame anything on 
private corporations cutting costs and instead Blame smart the meters got played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, a couple things, the rollout of the meters to customers will take place over the next few years, depending on the supply, which has been affected by a global, global microchip shortage. So that's a thing to note just because, I mean, everything is affected like by global supply chains these days. There's a shortage of many things and this is one of them. Uh, also the switch will not be mandatory. So customers will have a choice whether or not they want to opt in, which I don't know. I guess if you're afraid of the fire, then maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you think it's still the meter, then you can opt out, but yeah, you don't, we don't have to have giant protests with people carrying signs that say my meter, no my smart choice. meters, no smart yeah. meters. <laughs> yeah. The Regina police are planning to ask the city to purchase them an airplane. Um, because they think it's going to help them with traffic or something. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, you don't need a goddamn plane. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, come on. $547,500 in emergency services equipped equipment for upgrades at its tactical training facility, equipment for specialty teams and for the purchase of an aircraft. I don't know. Yeah. And that's, capital expenditure right that doesn't right. include operating costs yeah so this yeah, is so that's gonna this be is, even more expensive yeah that's just in the capital budget not out of the operating budget the operating budget will need a commensurate level um as well likely even more um because again you're not just having to pay for upkeep maintenance fuel but you're also paying for a pilot you're paying for storage like yeah. 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 And, uh, just to add on to, uh, the RPS is also asking for a $275,000 increase to salary and benefits related to the operation of the aerial unit. Yeah. So that's so, the, yeah, the pilot piece. Yeah. 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 And, and that'll be if, yearly. Right. right like that's right, per yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. That's Plus a guarantee. All of the other costs. I guess at this point, my opinion is fairly obvious. Uh, I don't want more things going to the police. I want them less things, <laughs> less money to the police, less of them, and yeah. certainly not an airplane. Well, again, they're, they're asking for an additional $3.5 million increase to the yeah. police budget, yeah. um, up to 92, almost 93 million. So you're looking at basically about a 4%, uh, yeah, 4% increase from its budget. Um, so if you're gonna if you're gonna complain about your property taxes, this is part of that. This is a major part of that. Yeah. And again, this isn't like not only are they increasing the amount of money they're spent they're spending, they're increasing the money they're spending on crime fighting airplanes um, right. and infrared cameras and like But not body cams. Yeah. They don't want body cams. They think it's not worth it. Yeah. And not on community outreach programs, not on things that actually, not on things that reduce crime. Right. Like right. just it, extra policing. Like it is, it is evident that as much as chief Bray talks the right talk a lot of the time, mm -hmm. um, we're still dealing with a mentality that 
It's not the job of the police to reduce crime. It's the job of the police to catch criminals after they've already committed crime. Right. So we're not we're not trying to reduce how much crime happens. We just want to be able to catch the people who've done it after they've done it. Right. Um, and I think there's a mentality that um, one inherently impacts the other. And I, I get why people would think that, but the data time and time again shows that's just not true. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that there are, it doesn't matter how much you spend on crime fighting planes. If the underlying causes are still there, the crime will still be there. Yep. Uh, and one of those underlying causes segues. Yep. Saskatchewan's child poverty rate at 26.1%, according to a report. So researchers at the University of Regina released the 2021 Saskatchewan Child and Poverty Report Card, which reveals Saskatchewan's child poverty rate, which peaked in 2004, remains well above the Canadian average. So, yeah, it's just not good. 26.1% isn't good. That's mind-blowing. That's that yeah. high. Like quarter, the national average is seventeen percent or almost eighteen yeah. percent, which even that is stunningly high for a high-income nation. Um, yep. Yeah, it's it, 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 it's it, ridiculous. It is mind blowing. That's old, like Saskatchewan. Over a quarter of the children are living in poverty. Yeah. Like ugh. how? I just I try I I. I have trouble wrapping my head around the the justification for such a thing. Like, how do we justify not uh, providing more economic support for people, uh, more government positions, maybe more infrastructure jobs? Uh, how do we justify not giving thing, doing more for our citizens when we have a quarter of our children who are in poverty? Yeah, there isn't. Like, you can come up with anything you want to say. There's no excuse. Right. Like, no, I that's right. Like, there just isn't one. Yeah, and it's even higher for younger children. Um, right for children under the age of six, it's twenty nine percent. And then this is one of those stories where I just sort of sit here stunned, not really knowing what else to say because it yeah. is it is unconscionable. Yeah, it, uh, they they're talking to Dr. Sanchez from the U of R, and uh, he says he they say. Uh, Poverty has lifelong impacts on a child. The north part of the province experiences greater rates of poverty in the province, according to Dr. Sanchez. He says in order for rates to go down, changes need to be made at the legislative level. Uh, government transfers program can lift all incomes to the poverty level threshold, and that can cal be calculated through the tax system, which seems like the bare minimum for what we the province should be doing. Like, I, I know we've, we, maybe we haven't said it specifically on this show, but I, I think people deserve more than a uh, than a living or to be at poverty level. Like people deserve to uh, be yeah. at a thriving level. Yeah. And, and that includes higher minimum wages. That includes higher levels of support on uh, assistance programs. This is just stop messing around with austerity and not giving people enough through social programs. Just lift people up. Just make our society better. If, if nothing else, like all, and I, I've kind of talked about some of this before, 
all resource royalties, carte blanche, I, I think you could take every single resource royalty that comes in and distribute it evenly amongst everyone. Like if you want to talk about where can a, like a universal basic income or universal basic transfer come from. Yeah. That, that's one spot because that is a yeah. collectively owned resource. If you are Joey, Jojo Shabadoo working somewhere um, and think, Oh, I don't want my tax money going to people. Fine. I, I think you're full of shit because your tax money isn't going to people in poverty. It's going to help structures like $92 million police budgets. But yeah. even, even taking that into account, it, it's not your tax money that is resource royalties. So at the very least, let's take every penny that comes in that way because that is a collectively owned resource um, and distribute it um, so that we don't have people living in poverty. Yeah. Because like those children are as much owners of the province's resources as anyone else. Yeah. So they right. should be as entitled to the, the wealth that is generated from it. Absolutely. I don't know if you we said, need to spend tons of time on this one. No, it's USASC threatened with legal action over campus COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Uh, an organization called the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is threatening legal action if the U of S COVID U of S's COVID-19 vaccine mandate is not rescinded. And these people don't know anything. Correct. The end. <laughs> like, it's like I said on an article. Well, I guess we will be cut, touching on it. Nobody seems to read the charter and realize that it says within it that uh, there can be reasonable limitations on your uh, rights and freedoms. And uh, probably public health is considered a reasonable limitation. So, yeah. As well, universities are not... Like there, there's a little bit of gray area because they receive public funding, but they right. are not the government. Yeah. Private organizations can tell you to do shit. Yeah. They can have rules about who goes on and off campus. Yeah. I, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't enroll in university classes and say my right to free speech gives me the right to not hand in this term paper. And therefore, because that is an, an exercise of my free expression to not actually write my term papers and not actually write exams and not, you know, complete my, my thesis yeah. that I should still get my degree. Right. We can't do that, but it's like, that's still a form of free expression. Like the right to be yeah. silent is like the, uh, silence is a form of expression or heck even do write something and say, Oh, well you're, you're marking it. How dare you, evaluate the quality of the words I say, my right. right to free speech gives me the right to say what I want. So you can't say it's worth a, an F instead of worth an A because it's my free speech. That's stupid. As is this. <laughs> as is this. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. It's about a private it. organization. It gets to set conditions. Um, I mean, if you want to have a debate about the value of grading, we can do that. <laughs> but, but that's not what we're talking about here it's not a restriction of your freedoms or your rights when a yeah. place does that and she's arguing the the one person arguing is saying there was a side effect from the johnson and johnson vaccine um i mean okay but 
but get the Pfizer one or the Moderna. Yeah, one. or like there, there's there are systems in place by which you would hold the vaccine Johnson and Johnson accountable, right? Um, right yeah. at that point, like if my like my school requires me to wear a shirt and shoes to class, if I were to let, let okay, even if there are issues with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, I'm like I'm 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 granting a fairly big right if yeah. in this right like this is very much for the sake of argument. But even if there is something wrong with it, if my sh- school requires me to wear a shirt to class and I end up buying a shirt that uses a toxic dye that I get right. sick from um, or a material that it's I'm allergic to, <laughs> it's not the school's fault for requiring yeah. me to wear a shirt. Right. Um, and like I do have sympathy for people who experience rare side effects. Um, yeah, for sure. From, from the vaccination. Like it, it, it that, that really sucks. Um I don't know. Like, I mean, the solution to uh, those things is to deal through your doctor and yeah. through other means. Like, you don't get to school. Uh, you don't get to sue the U of S over this. The SAS government, yeah, kind of introduced a bill that would bring an end to the independent security structure at the legislative building, and the minister responsible has not been able to address why the change is necessary. I don't know if there's been an update to this since this article came out, but the sergeant at arms uh, has handled the security at the chamber for the last 37 years. And now that's changing. Yeah. So. And it's, yeah, taking a nonpartisan element and making it partisan, which it seems bizarre to me. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like a really weird thing to do. Like, is Christine Tell just, like, trying to come up with a thing for her to do? Just so that she's still a a relevant person? Like, she's maybe to distract because a lot of people are really mad at the situation in prisons right now. So maybe it's something to separate from that. But I don't know. I just don't understand what this is supposed to do. And, and like... One of the things they talk about in the article is that having it come under the purview of the justice minister rather than a separate independent is you can pick and choose which protests you want to shut down and which ones you don't. I suppose. Um, So, you know, if uh, they they talk about how um, there was the justice for our stolen children camp that the, the, Don Morgan was really angry that the police were not cracking down on more fiercely. If you have legislative security be a ministerial, uh, have ministerial oversight rather than be under the purview of the sergeant at arms, you could have then used your own private police force to move out onto legislative grounds and break up protests. Which I suppose is similar to, uh, I mean, potentially related to the, discussion around uh a a saskatchewan based police force yeah so i mean maybe that's maybe that's a a goal that they have that you know just to speculate random speculation like because i know we know that the sas party doesn't like protests in various places that if they are ideologically not uh, on their side um more specifically like indigenous protests or or demonstrations. So, and this ties back to what we talked about at the beginning around the, like where, where do you draw those lines around the rights to protest? Um, And like, 
in my mind, this seems like it's crossing that line, um, or at the very least, this one is entering into that gray area. Right. Um, and it comes back to one of those weird things is conservatives seem to really trust the left. They like they say they talk like they don't. Right. But they, they constantly put in place laws that when the party they oppose inevitably gets into government eventually because, like, the we, we do live in a democracy. And, and like – And people's views like, do change. Generally, I know the conservatives <laughs> will get in power again at some point. Like, at some right. point, there will be a conservative government again federally. I know that. Um, so as someone – who is more left-leaning, and again, liberals aren't exactly leftists, but even let's say there was a super-duper left-wing federal government that aligned with my views really clearly, I still wouldn't want them implementing laws that gave themselves a whole bunch of power to crack down on right-wing protests. And right. Because I know eventually conservatives will get into power again yeah. and have all those same powers. And it seems that the right doesn't think that. Like, you saw it under Harper, you, you see it under the Sask Party, this idea that we can have all of these powers given to the government and not have to worry about what happens when the other party comes into power. Yeah, it, It's, I guess, a nice compliment that they trust the left so much. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I mean, if if the Democrats in the United States are any indication – they're right to try. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's true. Like yeah. they, tr they, they, like the left often then when they get into power, don't start abusing those privileges yeah. that got put there. Um, because not always. Like, like, well, we should, we need to follow the rules and decorum yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> but yeah, Cretchen was more than happy to take all the oh, power yes. that Mulroney centralized in the PMO and, use it. You, you definitely get <laughs> so you the do, ones. <laughs> yeah, right? Like Cretchen had no power, no problem with, with yeah. that. But um, I guess it maybe wasn't quite to the extreme that we have today though. So but yeah. let's take a story that was weird and kind of bizarre and make it depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Regina couple ordered to pay back 12,000 in SERB benefits. Um, so they depended on CERB during the pandemic and have now been told that they will have to pay back $12,000 to the federal government. So uh, Kristen Lamont McRae's husband, Curtis, was an electrician and Kristen was a massage therapist. And it, just like, you know, so many other Canadians, they got CERB and now they, I don't know, they have to pay it back. And I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I just think that all CERB money should just be forgiven at this point. Like anything that the government is calculating out that they think other random people owe, forget it. Just wipe it off the board. You're just screwing over regular people who are still struggling. Like CERB didn't put it, make anybody rich. Like this. <laughs> so, so as far as I'm concerned, it shouldn't even be an issue, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I feel bad for these people stuck paying back a bill that, I mean, I, if, if the government wanted 12000 or $12,000 for me or my CERB payments back, I certainly wouldn't be able to pay it back. Yeah. I, I guess I kind of understand the, the rationale if it was people who weren't eligible for it in the first place. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that, the, I, I like, think, 
Yeah, go ahead. The trade-off then being, okay, if we find ourselves in a situation like this where the government does something similar to serve in the future, does the government then go, okay, well, instead of getting it into everyone's hands as quickly as possible, let's take two, three, four weeks to get it out to people because we want to make sure we're not paying people who it shouldn't go to. Right. Um, I, like, I understand. I, I don't think there's... I, I think I agree with you, but I don't think it's quite as <laughs> clear cut as you may be making it out to maybe, be. Maybe. Um, if there are people who, again, if there are people who applied who didn't, who yeah, shouldn't like, have. That's I, the thing. Like, I almost, if it was me, I would have universalized it. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have made it so, I wouldn't have had strict criteria within pe- which people Correct. needed to apply. Yeah. So, if I was the prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> and like... <laughs> Keep in mind, and again, I, I think I agree with you, but again, one of the things you run into is it's not like there would necessarily have been more money. So instead of it being 6000 to isolated or specific people, it would have been 2000 to everyone. Yeah, yeah. So for the same amount of money, like if you're keeping it within the same budget, you're then right. you're, you're reducing yeah, the amount. Yeah, it depends on how you're doing gets, it, right? right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> I was thinking some t- some about uh, like the wait period too. Like I don't know if other people experienced what I experienced, but when I got laid off from my job, I applied for uh, EI as soon as I could, but I still had a paycheck coming. Yeah. So then I got my paycheck and my first CERB payment right away. So I, I actually was like, at the start, I had that extra money. I didn't need that money at that point. Right. I don't know if how many people were in the same boat, but I could have afforded to w- have a waiting period and have them, you know, get things right. But right. maybe, maybe far fewer people were like that than I think. Yeah. A baby. Um, I like, I, I, it was one of those things I remember at the beginning hearing both complaints about how long it was taking from some and amazement at how quick it was getting out to people from most. Right, um, right. So. I I know I just wanted my regular EI because I would have actually ended up with more money. <laughs> just an extension of EI. Yeah. yeah, but. Yeah, definitely different ways of doing it. And like that we don't know this for this specific case, we don't know why it turned out they didn't qualify. Right, um, yeah. Because it, right. it doesn't say in the story. Um, they are not, they're saying they don't know. Right. And CRA is obviously not going to divulge private information. Yeah, that's so right. the CRA can't speak to a specific instance. Yeah. Um, what they said in general is that the application process was attestation based, basically meaning people got to self declare the information they provide when they apply for benefits. And it so said then, in the application, CRA can verify that information at a later date. So rather yeah. than verifying it before you get the money, they give the money first and then go back and verify later. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that can mean that they find out that you were incorrect or yeah. you said something that wasn't true, what have you. So, yeah. Um, and I think, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think I agree with you to some extent that especially on the edge cases, if it was something that looked like it was an honest mistake or, you know, it, someone said they, their last day of work was, you know, March 30th, 
but it was actually April 5th because they had five days of vacation that they used. So they still like, if if it's stuff like (laughs) that, where it it was an actual mistake, then okay. Um, Yeah. If someone is outright lying and it's pretty clear cut, I think that's maybe a little different. I don't know. Maybe. I'm usually the one to say, like, and I'm, I'm usually the one to say, let's not waste time looking for fraudsters. It costs more to right, find yeah. the fraudsters than it does um, than you save in collecting money from the fraudsters. Um, so yeah. I, 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 I don't know if I'm being a hypocrite on this one or if this one is just, <laughs> there's a little bit of a difference between actively going out and looking for fraudsters and, hey, there is this, you know, 200,000 people who just outright shouldn't have got this money and sent in an application for it anyways and got given this money, <laughs> right? Like I, because then again, what does that, what could that money then be spent on elsewhere? So, but I guess I'm going in circles on this. We're not, I, we're not I, solving not, it today. <laughs> we're not solving it today. Um, hopefully we get some clear answers. What I definitely don't want is the serve money going to the province rather than the feds. Right. Like, well, that yeah. was weird That's in this, right. like not this specific story, but other versions of this story early on. And I may yeah. be wondering if that's why the feds are going after it because they kind of got told by the province Oh, if you won't go after it, we will. So the feds went, oh, well, if the people are losing their money anyways, it might as well come to us rather than the province. So the one thing I, uh, the one thing I did notice in the story was that they, they said that they had until the end of the year to pay it back or it would be dealt with on their next tax return. And this is, this is, I know that for a lot of people, it doesn't sound like a great solution because you like to get your tax return come tax season. But sometimes if you owe the government money and they just claw it back from your tax return each year or whatever, it can be better than, you know, struggling to bankrupt yourself and, and spend $12,000 you don't have to pay them mm-hmm. back so that you get $3,000 in February. Right. Yeah. So, or March or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. Saskatchewan legislation protects employers from lawsuits over COVID-19 measures. So this, the title of the story does not sound as good as as it turns out to be. Um, Because they're not, uh, what they're doing is the government has moved to prevent employers from being sued for implementing measures found in the public employers COVID-19 emergency regulations. So if they say, you have to get vaccinated to work here. You can't sue them. And I am always very wary about giving employers more power over their workers. (laughs) But uh, this seems like the right move in uh, my opinion, because they're doing the right thing for the entire province, not just for uh, the individuals. Yeah. Yeah. So no, it's, I think what it is is legislation that prevents nuisance lawsuits because I like all of these lawsuits that are now prevented from happening, I think are lawsuits that the the plaintiff loses anyways. Right. Like again, private companies can set conditions. Absolutely. So, you know, Joe's convenience store says you need to be vaccinated to work here. 
Steve, the anti-vaxxer who used to work there, quits and, and then turns around and sues for um, wrongful dismissal or gets fired, or however that ends up happening. Right. Um, he's going to lose, but he ties up the court system in doing so. And like Steve, the anti-vaxxer who used to work there, likely would even be found to have to pay for court costs. But if Steve, the anti-vaxxer, doesn't have the money to do that, now all of a sudden Joe's Convenience Store is out the cost of dealing yeah. with it. The courts, you know, are out the cost of paying for judges and bailiffs and the lights to stay on. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just, it, this one seems pretty clear cut. Uh, I agree with you that it's, it's one of those areas where just, we talked about at the beginning, anything that prevents employees from suing employers is a dangerous ground to walk on but this one seems like it's clear cut enough that it should be yep we have we haven't crossed lines but <laughs> that seems to be the theme of the episode yeah that's right uh, Wayburn jam fined 14,000 for violating covid uh, uh covid-19 restrictions they failed to screen for covid-19 vaccination or a negative test yeah so the iron bar it's a gym in Wayburn and uh, apparently they've announced that they're fighting this. Uh, they're, they're refusing to pay. And uh, they're going to face other consequences. <laughs> they're going to have to. Yeah. Eventually they'll pay. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of it, included this for fun because <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about we. uh, various uh, businesses in the past trying to yeah. refuse to pay for their fines on for not following the COVID-19 guidelines and two years in and none of them have won a case. They've all ended up still paying. So yeah, it's yeah. Like, and this it's, is, it's pretty clear cut. Yeah. It's a health code violation. Like it's no different from a health inspector walking in and seeing rats in your kitchen. Um, like yeah. the province, like, the province is allowed to have health codes. Yep. Like I, and I know libertarians don't want health codes. Like right, I, right. I've heard they the argument get salmonella. The, then yeah, if, <laughs> if, if, if our, the restaurants are incentivized to not food poison their uh, clients because no one will go there again, yeah. um, and, and that's the only incentive private business needs. Um, fuck that person who did get poisoned because yeah. They don't matter, apparently. Yeah. But, like, until that's the world we live in, and I'm kind of glad we don't because I want to know that the restaurants I go to have to follow certain health guidelines. Yep. Um, until that's the world we live in, the vaccination guidelines can be put in place as well. So. Yep. Uh, I guess in the uh, in this article, they also mentioned that uh, the province has announced two fines of $2,800 each for failing to wear a mask in an indoor public space, which has been required since the middle of September. Yeah. One was at a Your Dollar store in Esterhazy, and the other one was at an FT secondhand store in North Battleford. Along with... I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's... You could maybe say like, how much did those people fight against wearing the mask, right? Like if they just didn't have their mask up or on the proper way and somebody said, hey, 
put it on and they would have put it on, then maybe they wouldn't have got a fine, right? But if they're I fighting, gotta assume, like if, if if only if there have only been two fines, this is not people who oops, I forgot. And right. then put it on when reminded. Like and maybe I'm being naive, but I cannot see that being the case. Yeah, like, I find it hard. I, to I am well. guessing this is a put it on, no, put it on, no, put it on, no, okay, fine, here's your fine. Yeah. Right? Like so. Um, and this is sort of separate from that specific story. Um, but like it's linked to in the story itself. Um, Saskatchewan has gone through the deadliest year and a half that it has had in half a century. Sorry, deadliest year in half a century. So 2020 was the, had the highest death rate in the province's history in over 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was six per, a death rate 6% higher than the year before and 2021 is on track to be worse than 2020. Yeah. So get vaccinated. This, there, there's, <laughs> there is a tangible impact to people's ignorance. This yeah. isn't just, this isn't political. Um, right. Like this isn't, Oh, you're on a different, you're on a different team than me. So I don't like you. This is a, you are taking actions that literally cause deaths. Yeah, and I uh, on that I note, took happy little... holidays. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're gonna take a, the rest of the summer off. On, but... <laughs> we will come back in the new year, and uh, possibly with a guest, possibly without. Uh, I might be able to commit more time to this show now that I have uh, I've quit uh, one of my other shows. So we might be able to have a little bit more bells and whistles. Who knows? We'll see how it Ooh, goes. Bells and whistles. I'm excited <laughs> about those. Right. Yeah. But yeah, but. No, we will we will reconnect. Um so basically two bi-weekly chunks off, so we won't uh we won't record for the next two two bi-weekly periods and then we'll pick back up sort of mid January. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds right to me. So I know sort of cool. the people who are listening listen a couple days later than we record, so um, yeah, I, I don't want to start giving exact dates on when it'll be released, but probably that the next one w- will be released probably about a month after you're listening to this one. So, That's right. Give or take. <laughs> or a All month, right. A, so month and a half. You can find us. Yeah. Ish. Ish. <laughs> you can find us at anchor.fm slash from many peoples. Our Twitter is at SK politics pod, facebook.com slash from many people's strength pod. And you can email us at frommanypeoples at gmail.com. Or you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash frommanypeoples. And that is it. Thank you. I don't have a hat to doff, but <laughs> doff my theoretical one. Yeah. All right. Have a happy holidays, Corey. I'll see you on a, see you next year. Yeah, that's right. Happy New Year.